You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, first of all, I do want to really quick apologize uh, for yesterday. I didn't really realize how bad the audio issues were. Um, I knew that it was quiet, and so I kind of thought it wasn't that big of a deal. I didn't really realize, obviously, until the very end that, um, and it it was progressively getting worse, um, that it was quite that bad. I went back and listened to it this morning, and it was, I was cringing at, you know, (laughs) I was enjoying the episode, and it's like, they can't hear it, you freaking idiot. So anyways, I hope you were able to somewhat understand what he was saying. Um, I mean, I could still hear it, but I don't know if you could. So anyways, again, I apologize for that. Um, I think I got it fixed, and uh, we'll find out shortly because I have a lot of clips that I want to play today, and if that's not working, then I can't play any of those clips. I can already tell my mic is louder, so the change that I made because that thing is broken, um, things are loud. (laughs) I don't know about the computer, but my mic is much louder. It's funny how you know, I didn't really realize... You know, I've been doing this podcast so long, I can just see the numbers and be like, that's something's different. I started noticing that yesterday with the audio. I was like, that doesn't seem right. But again, I did uh, hopefully get a fix. And yes, it was the robots that uh, helped me do it. So I need everybody to say, thanks, robot. Okay, everybody at the same time now. Thanks, robot. Yeah, I actually recorded um, having my conversation with the robot and um, here's a little piece of our dialogue. I'm a highly sophisticated robot, Mike, and I'm telling you this is not something you should be hearing. So anyways, yeah, uh, we got it fixed. And I'd like to try to do what I wanted to do yesterday, and that is cover some topics and then get into some calls, because especially since I couldn't do it yesterday, we are, boy, oh boy, are we getting behind. Doesn't mean I want you to stop calling, though. Please keep them coming, 608 I want to hear what everybody has to say about every single thing. But, um, yeah, we're pushing 40 calls to get through here. And with me talking so much, I get through like three an episode, so I get a better system. Um, I've got three clips that I want to play, and I'm not exactly sure what order to put them in. Um, Two of them are extremely popular. One of them, I think, is flying a little bit under the radar. So why don't we start with that? Because I think a lot of the conversation, obviously, we're still talking about the Rogers trade situation. That's still the biggest news. Um, And... uh, Parsing through that, I think, is the hard part. And I think the biggest thing for me is that the the most convincing argument as far as the Jets' leverage... And by the way, important to note, and we'll get into this in a minute, but Pat McAfee, uh, very insistent that the Packers have no leverage. And, and what he refuses... What I've noticed that he's done, and I just commented on his, his long diatribe, which I read about half of it, and I'm like, all right, I think I get the point. I'm just going to comment because I'm not reading all this. And I didn't, didn't even make sense. I don't know. I, I don't know. The guy is so long-winded, and he says so many words and so little actual thoughts, comprehensible thoughts, I guess. But anyways, um, what I've noticed he does is that he lays out very convincing arguments, but it's only from one perspective. It's like, you know, for most people, what you do is you take all the information, and then you formulate an opinion based on all that information and what he does is he looks at one side completely ignores the other side and then says here's all the information so it's obvious you know it would be like to put it in the simplest terms it would be like 
if somebody came to you and they're like, the Jets scored 50 points and the Bears scored five points, who won? You'd say the Jets, because I'm taking the two sides and I would look at the two sides and I'd say whatever. Pat McAfee almost is like, the Jets and the Bears played, the Bears scored five points, who won? And he's like, well, the Bears. Bears scored five points. Right? So they won. So, well, no, you have to figure out how much the Jets scored. But he doesn't, he doesn't look at that saying the Packers have no leverage because, and then he lists all the, the bad situation they're in. And they're in a tough situation, there's no doubt. But he's only listing the Packers' situation and saying this is why they have no leverage. The Packers' leverage is the Jets' bad situation. The Jets' leverage is the Packers' bad situation. But without even acknowledging the situation the Jets are in, you obviously are not going to come to very good conclusions. And so, again, that, that that's sort of his thing. But... um. As far as the leverage is concerned, my biggest concern, or it seems like for most people, the biggest concern is if they don't get this done, Rodgers is just going to threaten that, fine, I'm coming back. And then he's going to sit and then we're in trouble or he's going to play and whatever. We have to pay him the money. And I don't see that as the biggest threat because I don't see that happening. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't see that as, a, as an option. I think we'll probably get into that more later. I don't know. The biggest fear for me is the Jets pivoting and just saying, fine, we're going after Lamar. I, I, I can't do this anymore. We've been in talks with Lamar's agent, and, and you can either accept this deal or you can not, and then we're just gonna we're gonna make a deal with Lamar. We we've got it in place. If I'm that's the only point. If I'm Brian Gutekunst, where I look at it and go, oh crap, we should probably do this. Right, that's the pain point where it's like, am I willing to trade away Aaron Rodgers for this meager amount so that we can get rid of Rodgers off our contract and get some level of compensation, or do I want to say that I can't? be the guy that traded him away for that, walk away from the table, and hope that we don't get stuck with Rodgers. Either he chooses to retire or whatever. That would, that would be my biggest concern. And so for that reason, tracking the um, situation with the Baltimore Ravens and with Lamar is kind of a big deal. So I want to play this clip here. Um, at least part of it is from the Dan Patrick Show. This is Tom Pelissero. Now he's reacting live to the tweet but it's not really the tweet that matters. It's what he has to say about the situation regarding Lamar and why it's not so easy as to just assume, well, I, you know, you could just snap up Lamar. Anybody can just go out and get him. That's There are some issues here, clearly. Before I let you go, Lamar Jackson had a tweet where he congratulated Orlando Brown Jr. for getting the contract with the Bengals. Then he uh, says, when this is all said and done... I feel bad for the rest of the 31, the other 31 teams. He got rhymes. What's he saying in this tweet? Seems like Lamar, and I did not see that tweet, but certainly seems like that's the message of if you're not the team that gets me, uh, you're going to regret it. it. It still remains to be seen, Dan. And, and I know that there's a lot of people who have brought up collusion, have even suggested racism, have suggested a variety of different reasons why nobody's willing to just go out. You know, people say he's just sitting there. Lamar Jackson, MVP is just sitting there. Think of it this way. And I had a lot of conversations yesterday in particular with people with different teams who potentially could be in that market. And it's not to say, and in no way am I saying nobody should go out and try to get one of the dynamic players within the NFL, but it has to be a specific situation. There are a number of teams. You can easily cross off of the 32. You can cross off 20 teams. Just by going through and saying, who has a young quarterback already that they're going to pay? Or who has a bunch of money tied up in a veteran quarterback? There's about 20 teams you can cross right off the list. So now you're down to about a dozen of them. 
You've got teams that either may have a quarterback who they're going with for now, or they have some money invested. There's probably a half dozen of those who you can kind of say, it's probably not going to happen there. Now you're down to a half dozen of them. And you need to figure out, it's not just go get the quarterback. This isn't fantasy football. It's not Madden. It's real life where there's contracts and there's value and there's scheme. So if you're going to go after Lamar Jackson, if you're going to evaluate this, and certainly there's teams that have, you need to be willing to give up the two first-round picks to pay him what he wants, which he has not backed off of, which is a fully guaranteed contract. It's going to be in the neighborhood of $50 million a year, which is about 25% of your salary cap. You're doing that with a player who you're going to need to change your scheme to change at least some of your personnel to make it go. And he's a player whose mobility has always been a big part of his game. And he suffered consecutive lower body injuries that have ended his season. Speed, mobility, those are by definition depreciating assets. In other words, those injuries are something real to consider that teams absolutely look at. It's not to say that means Lamar Jackson's never going to be MVP caliber Lamar Jackson again. I think we can agree, Dan. When you watch him, when he's healthy, when he's on the field, he's pretty good. He's pretty fun to watch. But also, you know, you can cite the, the passing efficiency and the explosive plays. Well, a big part of the reason he has that is because when the quarterback is a run threat, it changes the numbers on the defense. You have to account for the quarterback as a runner. It changes how defenses can play. You're going to see more specific types of coverages, and the picture is going to be clearer on the back end where you're going to have those opportunities. Lamar absolutely has gotten better as a passer. He's absolutely an unbelievably dynamic runner. But are you willing to make that type of investment? And remember, too, you do have limited resources in terms of building your team. Part of the reason that you've seen this shift toward people wanting more and more to build around a young quarterback is the salary cap. It's cash. It's resources. It's the fact that when you're not paying $50 million a year for a quarterback, which is soon going to be the going rate, and then we'll be talking about the first $60 million quarterback with the way the cap's going, that's money you're not spending to put people around it. If you're the Bears and you have Justin Fields, and you might say, well, Lamar's right now a more polished passer, and he's as dynamic of a runner, we could get him, but then that's $50 million or $45 million that we don't have to spend on other things. So we have Justin Fields right now on a rookie contract. Those are all the things that you have to evaluate here in terms of the value of the position, in terms of the value of the player. And that's not a slight to Lamar, and that's not collusion, and that's not racism. It's the reality of team building in the modern NFL where you're going to be hard-pressed to find teams that have had a great deal of success after committing 20% plus of their salary cap to a single player. The Chiefs are doing it with Patrick Mahomes on a unique deal. They paid him $60 million over the first three years, and it's a long, long-term contract that gives him a lot of flexibility. And that was the intention when he did that contract. Most quarterback contracts are not like that. There is a cap and a cash impact on you. That's going to influence things in terms of Lamar Jackson. And there's some fascinating conversations that can be had, particularly if in the coming weeks here, as you're seeing these chairs get filled around the league, Lamar does not have an offer sheet, then your attention starts to be turned to what does he do with a $32 million franchise tag? Does he go back to Baltimore? He potentially could stay away all the way until I believe it's week 10 that he could still sign an offer sheet with the team and then show up at that mm. point. That would seem for a guy who played for 1.7 in 2021 and 
23 million, I believe it was in 2022, an odd strategy to suddenly start giving up all those millions of dollars. But at the same time, if Lamar had an agent, that agent would have advised him two years ago, you're not stepping on the field for 2021 at 1.7 million. He's already given up tens of millions of dollars and he's got to evaluate now, do you continue to go down that path or do you take the best offer you can possibly get, even if it's not fully guaranteed, whether that's from the Ravens who have been trying for a couple of years or potentially someone else. So a couple things first before we kind of get into that. Number one, thank you very much to Tom Pelissero. I just I feel like we've been so devoid of any form of intellectual dialogue um, for such a long time. Everything is so shallow and basic and boring, and it's just it's hard to listen to. And um, to hear him just kind of lay out the facts and the details. I mean, in in very fine detail, uh, the the exact numbers, the 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 who, what, when, where, why, how. Um, not just the contract details, but the scheme details, the personnel details, why guys like Lamar are, are beneficial, but also somewhat of a liability and just the full and complete picture. I don't think he left out a single detail. So very impressed with that. Um, you know, as much as everybody, myself included, sometimes likes to rail against the quote unquote media. The fact of the matter is a lot of these guys are not only plugged in, they're really intelligent and they understand things. I mean, they're having conversations with people. I just wish it was brought to the forefront more. I know that's not what people want. They don't want the in-depth this, that, or the other. We want the more Pat McAfee, just scream and swear and flail and be ridiculous. And I, again, we'll, we'll get to McAfee in a minute, but I feel like there was a place for that for a while where it was sort of the, the anti-media, like it's not so stuffy and it's just fun and it's relaxed and we're not afraid to say things and that's kind of cool and all, but um, it's been so devoid of any real substance. It's very vapid. It's almost like, you know, for so long we've been living in a house where cake isn't allowed, you know, you can't have sugar and you don't watch television. And then Pat McAfee came along and like, you can do whatever you want. And you kind of trash your house and eat like cake and pizza and just everything you want. And then you just start to feel gross. And it's like, dude, I need to exercise. I need a vegetable or something, man. Give me like an apple. I don't know. I just don't feel good. Kind of just sitting on the couch staring at the TV in a trance, just in a sugar coma because you ate a whole cake, like a whole sheet cake, birthday cake by yourself, you know? I mean, it took you the whole day, but you got it down. And so anyways... Thank you, Tom Pelissero, for just having, and not wasting words. That's the other thing. McAfee, he says a billion words, and it's like, you didn't give me anything. You didn't waste any words. Every single thing had a point, had a purpose, and I got a full picture of the whole situation. It's like, dude, that's, wow, thank you. Second thing that I found really interesting as a sub point before we get into the larger point, he talked about the the teams moving toward drafting younger quarterbacks because of the salary cap. And it got me wondering, we've talked a ton about how everybody's moving toward the mobile quarterbacks. What I've never considered before is what if that's more of a symptom? In other words, there's something else going on, and this is just sort of a consequence of that. And what I mean is, potentially, just throwing it out there as a thought experiment, what if this is what's happening? I talked before about how as quarterbacks get more and more expensive and seem to be eating up more and more of the the salary cap, 
I mean, even as a percentage, it seems to be getting, it seems to be kind of exploding and leaving you less money for the rest of your team to build around. Teams are moving toward the, how can I find a way to win without elite quarterbacks? And, and that's, we're starting to see success with that. I mean, the 49ers don't need, they barely need a quarterback at all. There are teams that are winning without the Pat Mahomeses. Again, I don't mean to slander Jalen Hurts, but I, I don't think he's on that tier with Pat Mahomes. And it doesn't matter. And um, the fact of the matter is they have the resources to stack that team. Now, they're not going to be able to once once Jalen Hurts wants his $50, $60 million. But as a result, what if teams are looking at it and saying, rather than continuing to pay more and pay more and pay more, like the Packers with Rodgers or anybody else, the next contract just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger for these quarterbacks. What if the emphasis was on focusing on younger quarterbacks? And then when you look at it, you say, well, that shouldn't have anything necessarily to do with mobility. Well, he also talked about how mobility is somewhat of a, uh, I forget the phrase he used, but the point is, as you get older, it goes away. You're never going to see a 40-year-old, you know, Lamar Jackson still doing it, unless he completely transforms his game to being a cerebral, primarily throwing quarterback. I'm sure he'll have more mobility than your average 40-year-old, but the point is, if a big part of what you do is built on your ability to run faster than everybody on the field, that's something you're not going to be able to do for very long. That's something that will deteriorate over time. The only guys that are going to be able to play until they're 40 are the guys that can stand in the pocket, read a defense from top to bottom, and be able to have enough arm talent to get the ball exactly where it needs to go. Because even the arm's starting to go. We saw that with Manning, right? The, the, the mind was incredible. He's still a freaking genius. But that guy could barely throw 15 yards down the field. It was ugly watching him play. And so maybe it, it isn't so much that we're moving toward mobility. Maybe it's just that mobility wasn't the best option for drafting a quarterback because what we, what we value is longevity. And if you're a mobile quarterback, although there are massive amounts of benefits to it, as he also laid out, right, you can sit, you, you're really putting the defense in a tough spot and you make it a, a much easier picture for the quarterback, which means not only does the mobility hurt the defense, but you don't even have to be as good. You don't have to be Aaron Rodgers because you don't have to work as hard. So we can make you look like a super genius quarterback because the game gets a lot easier for you. But although we want that, it doesn't make sense as a long-term investment because we can't trust that you'll be there long-term. But if we're not really looking long-term anymore, what if we're looking a little bit more short-term? Now that starts to make more sense. Now the risk aversion isn't as big of an issue. So maybe the league has always sort of desired this and wanted this, but it just didn't make sense. But as we're starting to find offenses develop in ways where you don't need massively elite throwers and, and thinkers, the guys that can just command the entire offense, it's more of, I just need a little robot that can go there and just do what he's told. I mean, I talk trash about Justin Fields, but there's no question that guy caused problems for defenses just based on his ability. I mean, the fact of the matter, everybody knew he can't throw. All he can do is run. And he still, I mean, they didn't win football games, but it was still like they couldn't stop the guy. And if he learns to throw a little bit better and can get some different receivers and kind of fine-tune this thing and everything else, I mean, you know, you really start to understand the Anthony Richardsons and the the all these different guys where you look at it and go, dude, we could freaking take over the world. And again, it's not as big of a deal that they're not going to last as long because... I don't really care. I'm planning on redoing this thing. I mean, there, there's a there's a new mobile quarterback popping up every single draft. We got, what, three, four quarterbacks that we like in this draft? And two of them are like highly mobile guys? And that's pretty standard. I would say about 50% of the guys are just, I mean, they just keep getting taller, bigger, stronger, faster. Anthony Richardson's about the biggest freak we've seen. What, is Cam Newton the only potential comp for him? He goes to the combine and breaks just about every record that there is. 
So again, just kind of an interesting thing. And then beyond that, as we you know bring it back into the Lamar thing, you realize that Lamar's on the wrong side of this. The plan for the Lamars isn't just to get a Lamar. It's to get a young, cheap Lamar. And Lamar is trying to say, hey, I'm Lamar. I'm, I'm the dude. I'm the thing everybody wants. And he's missing the part where what they want is a young, healthy, cheap guy to do what he can do. He's already broken down. Two complete lost seasons. And he's getting up in age. And he wants $50 million fully guaranteed. And I'm sure he doesn't just want one year. He probably wants something similar to what Pat Mahomes got. He's looking, I mean, you know, if you don't want to give me 10, I at least want five. Fully guaranteed. Do you know what that means? That means if I say five years, you're not getting out of this in two. You're paying all of it. And I'm playing all for, you're not getting another quarterback for that duration. He's not desirable. And as he said, it's not to say that he isn't talented. It's not to say he couldn't have another good year. It's not to say, I mean, if, if you told somebody Lamar's going to be healthy all year, I don't know that he'd be the favorite to win MVP, but he'd be top five, top three, maybe, easily. But that's not the point. So I do find that whole thing to be interesting. And again, maybe I'm making that whole thing up, but it, it is kind of a interesting thing that just kind of popped into my head that, again, maybe maybe this surge of desire for the mobile quarterback is a symptom of a direction that we're going, which is, get me the young, cheap guy. And since he's going to be young and cheap, why not make him mobile? Because it doesn't hurt me, the fact that he's not going to make it into his 30s. I don't care. That's not our goal. And really, that kind of makes sense in general. I mean, how many GMs are thinking 10 years down the line? If he can be a star for five years, you've got a good career. I mean, maybe you're super ambitious and you're like, I'm going to be the GM for the next 20 years, then okay, maybe. But anyways, the, 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 obviously the larger point here is that although the Jets could possibly use this as leverage if they really wanted to, if they wanted to push that and say, we're just going to go get Lamar. And again, I find it interesting that that hasn't even come up, which leads me to believe that the Jets are not even considering doing that. And I think they can get themselves in a lot of hot water, honestly, if they did too, and if they weren't serious. Because you could just lie about it. But if you start getting that out there, you know Lamar, well, I was going to say Lamar and his agent, he doesn't have one. You know Lamar and his mom, I guess, are going to get in contact with you. And what's going to happen when they realize you were just playing them? Man, you think the screams of how dare you not go after Lamar and all the screams of collusion and racism and all that stuff are bad now? Wait until they find out the only reason you contacted Lamar was that so you can get leverage on a 40-year-old quarterback that you want to pay $60 million to play one year. Oh, you're going to get eviscerated. And so I don't think they want to play that game. And, and so the, then the only real question is, would they be serious about it? Would they actually consider it? And I believe the answer to that is no. And, and Tom Pelissero just laid out exactly why. Now, again, if you're asking me honestly, would you rather have Aaron Rodgers for one year, $60 million, or would you rather have Lamar Jackson for five years, uh, $50 million fully guaranteed? I would probably go Lamar. In fact, I, I don't know why you wouldn't go Lamar. I really don't. I mean, I, I don't want Lamar. I, I, as a Packer fan, it, it, like if I'm, if I'm a new GM wanting to build, I want to draft a guy, all that stuff. But if you're the Jets and you're seriously considering Aaron Rodgers right now, and the thought process is we just want a chance. We just want an opportunity to be really, really good. We want to sell some jerseys. We want to get our fans excited. We want to rev this thing up. We want to, but, but the only other thing is you're adding in. We, we could potentially, you know, if he can stay healthy, potentially, we could be good for a long. And so what about the $50 million? I mean, it sucks, no question about it. And granted, I don't think, I mean, what would it cost them? They'd have to really, uh, I mean, obviously they'd give them a brand new contract. They'd have to fit it within their, their salary cap. I, I, long term, I don't know how that works. But um, yeah, I think I would rather have Lamar. But again, I don't want any of them. I, I don't think that that's a, a thing I'd be interested in. But 
again, for, for j- just from a standpoint of leverage, it, it doesn't seem as though it's gotten to that point. And maybe the biggest reason that it hasn't gotten to that point is because the Packers and Jets realize that they're actually very close on a deal, and both of them are optimistic it's going to get done. they just got to hammer out some of the details. we got to find a way to come together, shake hands on this thing, and make it work. All right, got to move on because I want to play a couple other clips, and I want to... Um, uh, this next clip, before we get into the Pat McAfee thing, is a clip from... Uh, the Rich Eisen Show, Amy Trask is on here. Everyone's kind of going nuts about this clip. Um, I wasn't quite as impressed. Maybe I just don't fully understand, but um, I want to play it. Uh, she does seem pretty level-headed and intelligent about it, but um, I kind of want to, I guess, just give my thoughts because, again, everybody's going nuts about it like it's the greatest thing anybody's ever said, and I, I find it to be kind of... Um, simplistic overly simplistic but anyways here's this clip can you just tell me what's going on i find this story to be somewhat tedious at this point because as i said to start the show if you and i were negotiating this this would be done by now well you're absolutely right and i will share with you my thoughts on negotiation and why i just can't stand everything that i'm reading and and hearing right now but i want to mention something that aaron Rodgers said a week or so ago that really resonated with me Um, He said to those people who are complaining that they're hearing too much about the story, that they're, you know, that they're talking too much about the story, that Aaron is saying too much. He said, so stop reading. Stop listening. If you're tired of hearing me talk, if you're tired of reading about what I'm saying, stop listening. Stop reading. I thought that was wise. I think that's fair. Um, I mean, I, I get those calls every day that they're sick of it. I, I do think there is an element of not being able to get away from it. You know, um, you almost have to sort of disconnect from social media in order to get away from it. And you don't really want to do that. I'm sure a lot of, well, then just turn off, then just close, turn off your phone and never look at it. But I don't want to have to do that is kind of the point. But uh, yeah, I do think some people kind of punish themselves. They do listen to all the videos they do watch all the content they do read all the articles and then they get mad about all the you know all the drama and like i don't want to hear well then yeah you're, you're doing it why are you mad about it that was wise advice i think it's great advice and i think that what brent musburger said in the first hour was really apropos which is it's march madness and all we're talking about is aaron Rodgers. yeah it's more interesting and that's the other thing I don't really fully understand is like the the uh, the point she seems to be making is like something is is wrong because March Madness is bigger and it's more important, so we shouldn't be talking about Aaron Rodgers. Well, if that was true, we wouldn't be talking about Aaron Rodgers; we'd be talking about March Madness. It seems to me that you think that that's the case, but obviously the vast majority of people don't. That's why there is more content about Aaron Rodgers. That's why there's more consumption of Aaron Rodgers. That's more why there's more conversation. You might not like it. You might not agree with it, um, which you seem to agree with it because you're talking about this. And I don't know how much time you spent talking about March Madness, but, you know, again, that's sort of the other side of it where there's, there's just like, I, I, you know, something is wrong. Well, it's not wrong. It just is what it is. It's a bigger story. It's more important. It's more relevant. And you might not like that, but it's just the reality. Sorry, people don't like March Madness as much as you think they should. Well, and as to your negotiation point, I have a very, very different approach to negotiations than most people. We always hear that phrase, let's sit across the table from one another and negotiate. Well, if the goal is to get a deal, how about we sit next to one another and we collaborate? If the goal of a negotiation is to get a deal, it doesn't need to be a quid pro quo. It doesn't need to be a tit for tat. 
You sit down. Susie shares, here's what's important to me in the negotiation aim. I say, here's what's important to me in the negotiation or in the deal, Susie, because we don't need to negotiate. If something's important to you and I don't care about it, have it. And please do the same for me. And we're going to figure this out. I can't stand the posturing. I can't stand the quid pro quo. If the goal is to make a deal, collaborate and make a deal. Each party to this jigsaw puzzle, if you will, has a play that he or that it can make, the Jets, the Packers, Aaron. Just sit down and collaborate and make a deal. So this is what I don't like. I mean, this is what's seen as being like this very profound thing. And it's we're, we're creating these sort of fake pictures of these egotistical monsters that are just, you know, pushing their weight around. And I, but yet, you know, the, the, the rational uh, among us would, would just sit down and we would just, we would just get it done. But in reality, she's not actually saying anything. Like, if you want to get a deal, just get a deal, bro. Like, it's not that hard. Like, don't, don't do quid pro quo. Like, I don't even know what that means. What is the quid pro quo that's happening? I don't even understand what that means. Um, you know, just say what's important to you and what you want, and, and he can say what's important to him and what he wants, and then just do a deal. Like, what do you think they're doing right now? I don't, I, I don't understand. You think that they're not saying, here's what I think we should get, and the other person says, here's what I think we should get, and here's what I'm willing to part with, here are some players you can have, and like, well, I don't want that guy. They're doing all that. So I don't think this is deep or profound. I think this is like kindergarten negotiations. <laughs> this is, it's, uh, it's, it's idealistic in a way, but it's also just lacking any, why does my computer keep doing that? It's lacking any real substance. It, she, she, again, she didn't say anything. It's just, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't even know what that means. Like, just, just, just do a deal, bro. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, just stop with the... Quid pro quos. Like there's, there isn't a quid pro quo. Well, just, just don't do that and just do a deal. It's not a big deal. I have so many questions for you, Amy Trask. First of all, who has the leverage? Well, I'm not... Everybody has a piece of strength, I will say, in the deal. That's correct. That's, that's the point. Everybody has a piece of strength. And, and the Packers' strength is the Jets' weakness. And the Jets', weak, uh, the Jets strength is the Packers' weakness. That's the leverage that they have. The leverage that you have over the team is the, the the pain points that the other team has. So it is ridiculous to say who has the leverage, but I don't. But I think the question ultimately, and this is what Pat McAfee tries to get out of of uh, Ian Rappaport and everything else, is who has the most leverage. And and really, all that means is if this deal doesn't get done, who's going to be hurting the most? And I've said consistently, in my opinion, it's very, very, very clearly the Jets. Packers will be fine. They continue on with no real change whatsoever, aside from we don't get extra picks that we weren't expecting. Right? I mean, you got to understand, a month ago it was very possible Rodgers came out of his hole and said, I want to retire. And that would be identical to what's going to happen if this deal doesn't get done. What about the Jets? Very different. So that's the question. Yes, everybody has a piece of leverage. The Packers have more leverage. Bottom line. The Packers have a player under contract that the Jets want. The Jets are looking to take off the Packers' financials a player they no longer want. Aaron can say to the Packers, be reasonable with the team I want to go to, or by the way, I'm coming back and I'll see you. And everybody's going to push back and say, Amy, he's not really going to do that. Well, maybe he won't, but he can. 
And everybody's going to say, well, you know, the Packers don't want to give him up for a little bit. Well, would they rather have him show up? And the Jets aren't going to want to give up too much. Okay, how much is too much? If everybody just takes a deep breath and... Again, with the kindergarten stuff, like just, just breathe, bro. Just breathe. Then we'll have a deal. Recognize that each one of these parties has some strength they bring to the discussion, and each party has some weakness. The Jets clearly want him. Aaron clearly wants to go there. The Packers clearly want him gone. Sit down and make a deal. <laughs> what does that mean, though? So what's the deal? What's the deal? Sit down and make a deal. Right, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to work through that right now. Just take a deep breath and realize that you want him gone and they want him. And they want him and you don't. And do a deal. I mean, could you imagine if she came into the room like Brian Gutekunst and the Jets and, and the Jets and the Packers, they've, they've been in a room for 15 hours and they're dead tired and they're they're wired up on coffee and energy drinks and they've been going through all the details. They've been breaking down the numbers of the contracts and trying to work on salary caps and all these different things and going through historical data. And then they're like, you know what? Somebody brings in Amy Trask and it's like, Amy, I want you to, to help negotiate this deal, help facilitate this deal. And they look up at her and she says, guys, just breathe and realize you both want this done and then do a deal. That's all. Thank you. Like, I would want to throw a chair at her at that moment. Like, get out of here. What, what, what a way. That was, that was a 10 seconds of my life that I will never get back. And I got a lot of stuff to do. So unless you got something else important to say, how about don't come back? Then she was asked more pointedly, if you were there talking to the Jets, what would you advise them to do? Find a way to make a deal. If you know what you're willing to give, don't play games. If you know what you're willing to give and they're going to take it, fine. If they're not, soul search, decide if you're willing to give some more. And if you're not, you better have a plan B. So bottom line is, I, I, to be completely honest, assuming that this, I, I think in all honesty, if she was in this position, she wouldn't be taking her own advice. She'd be stuck there as well. But if she's actually serious about this, I would hate for her to do negotiating on my behalf. Because everything so far seems to be like, don't, don't posture, right? She keeps talking about posturing and all that. Don't, don't posture. If you're willing to do something, just do it. In other words, just go to your rock bottom price and then just offer that. No. <laughs> Why would I start with that? That's number one. And then number two, which I think is where we are, what if we can't, like, I'm at my rock bottom. And they're at their rock bottom, and we still have a space there. Her answer to that, apparently, is then move on, do something else. Whoa, 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 whoa. So again, according to her, we should just void this deal because we haven't been able to come to a conclusion or, or reach an agreement. Why don't we slow down, take a breath, as you said, and explore all of our options and see if we can come to some kind of a conclusion because there are some creative ways in which we can do this. Right? There's, there's different things that create value. And so we need to work together to try to bridge that gap, which is what I think the Packers and Jets are working on. So again, everyone's kind of doing backflips over this. Maybe I kind of missed the nuance of it all. I think it was kind of, uh, again, uh, negotiating for kindergartners. I think it would re lead to 
terrible results if she actually believes that what you should do in a negotiation is just go straight to your bottom and offer that. Or just, you know, like just walk under the car a lot and just be like, look, I have $50,000 in my car right now in cash. What can you sell me? This car right here is, uh, it's worth 50. Can I just give you the cash? Okay, good. I guess <laughs> kind of sucks as, as a negotiation, doesn't it? Or if you're the car dealer, sticker price is like 40 grand on a car. They're like, oh, I love this car. What do you think? Honey? Oh, honey, I love it. I'll, I'll give you half off. It's what I paid for it to come on the lot. Just take it for 20,000. 20, you want it? Why would you do that? Look, the, the bo- here, here's the bottom line. You want to know why there's posturing? I'm sorry if this is too, like, aggressive or annoying for you. The posturing is about the Jets and Packers doing their job. You know what their job is? It's to get maximum value for their team. I want my GM to fight for me and for my team. I want him to squeeze the Jets for everything they're worth. I want him to hurt them and scare them to death. I want him to paint a very horrifying picture. Then I want him to reach his hand across the table and make sure that he understands that the hand across the table is my hand of salvation. Because taking my hand is the only thing that's going to save you. Don't even worry about what I'm asking for. That's immaterial. The ship is sinking. I've given you my hand and you need to take it. Period. I want a freaking pit bull. A serial killer. As a negotiator. As a GM. I don't want somebody to come in and say, look, we want to get this done. What, what, I mean, what, what's it going to take? If I drop it all the way down to like next year's third, would you accept that? Yes. Okay, fine. See, no egos involved here. No quid pro quo. No. Nope. Not doing that. Sorry. No. Here, here's honestly what I think happened after reading a few things, and maybe I'm way behind and everybody already kind of knew this. And I know we've heard a few people say it, but I think it just, when you really think about it, all the pieces really add up. I was reading an article that uh, Tom Silverstein wrote, JJ sent it to me, and one of the things they pointed out is as soon as the Jets flew out to meet with Aaron Rodgers, it really screwed the Packers. And suddenly the Packers had all the leverage. This is coming from an NFL executive, uh, Tom Silverstein. We'll go over this. I don't. We really don't have time to. I don't know if I can get the calls because we're already almost 40 minutes into this freaking thing. I got so much. I have so much to talk about. I can't get to all the stuff. I have to start doing like five podcasts a day. I haven't even gotten to an ad break. It's just going to be a random spot, I guess. Not getting interrupted by that nonsense. I mean, by our wonderful advertisers who I love, and I hope that you will listen to them and um, appreciate them. Anyways, actually, let me let me just read it to you. So there's four different personnel executives that Tom Silverstein talked to, right? Different teams. He said they have to stay anonymous because they're not allowed to actually publicly comment on other teams' negotiations and things. But these are high-ranking executives for other teams. Tom Silverstein talked to him directly, all right? Personnel director number one. We're just going to do number one because this is kind of what sparked it. It says, quote, My initial thought was a second or a third round pick in 2023 and a 2024 pick tied to whether or not Aaron decides to play a second season. However, the Packers have all the cards now because it appears they didn't have a deal agreed to before the Jets flew to California to meet with Aaron. And now if the Jets don't finish the deal, well, you can imagine what the New York press will do. So I'm guessing Brian knows this and the price has gone up to maybe a first this year 
and another pick as well because really he has all the leverage and he's not inclined to really trade him before June 1st anyways, which is a phenomenal point. We'll get to that in a second. So the Jets need to do something to make him want to move faster. Of course, Aaron could just start showing up to Lambeau like Brett did to make it awkward and move things along, which I'm sure he'd do if needed. It will be fascinating to see what happens. It's a pretty unprecedented deal, really, other than, you know, when the Packers traded Brett to the Jets. So the, the what I think actually happened here is that Rodgers said, hey, I want to know all this stuff, whatever. Um, can I meet with the Jets? And the Packers gave him permission. Sure, you can talk to him. Then it became public, right? Everybody knew. Rumor is they're flying out there. Then people found the plane. They tracked the plane. People are taking pictures. It's all over the place. Apparently the media out in California, Rogers said they they stupidly, he was really obviously annoyed by it, parked their cars right outside of his house so the paparazzi's out there taking pictures of him and everything. So it's public knowledge. Brian Gutekunst, not taking Amy Trask's advice, which, again, maybe they should. Maybe they should just be like, look, we had a handshake agreement. Everything's fine. Let's just stick with what, what did he say initially? Um, a second and a third? Yeah, a second pick and a third, and then a conditional pick next year. Which, honestly, that's kind of a lot. That's more than I was thinking going into it. A second and a third this year, and a conditional pick on based on what whether he does this year or plays next year or whatever. That's not a bad thing, aside from the fact that we hate third-round picks. Make it a second and a fourth. I don't know. <laughs> but as soon as that became public, the Jets come back, and they're like, all right, yeah, I think we're willing to do it. And Goot said what? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking... And it seems to me that news got out. Maybe you guys weren't careful enough with your discretion. And I'm hearing a lot of rumors that this is a done deal. And I've been seeing a lot of stuff about how excited Jets fans are about this thing about to get done. And it seems to me a lot of quarterbacks have been getting snapped up. It looks like Derek Carr, while you were out in California, signed with the Saints. So here's the deal. The price just went up. And if you think about it, what did Aaron say? He said the Packers have dug in their heels, which initially I just thought that meant that they were just being stubborn about their price. I didn't know that it had gone through. I I still don't. But I didn't really necessarily think that it went up. I just thought that they were being stubborn, which ultimately means the Jets are being stubborn too, right? They're just not meeting. But I think that's why Aaron was annoyed when he said, you know, he just kind of shook his head. I don't remember his exact comments, but he was obviously annoyed at what the Packers had done. And what did they do? They spiked the price. Again, you can take, is that Amy Trask? Is that her name? I don't want to say her name wrong and then just keep saying it wrong. Yes, Amy Trask. By the way, let me uh, let me get a full rundown of who this is because I've not heard her name before. Analyst for CBS Sports, author of You Negotiate Like a Girl, LA Sports and Entertainment Commission Advisory Board, Shrine Bowl Advisory Team, former CEO of the Raiders. So, yes, very um, very accomplished person. But listen, I, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm an idiot and this deal could have been done by now and we could have taken a deal and maybe, maybe this ends up blowing up in our face. I really have no idea. But if I had to choose, I would choose Brian Gutekunst to be my negotiator. I want a guy that sees a weakness in, in the other side and takes advantage of it. We had a deal. Things changed. I suddenly have more leverage. I suddenly hold all the keys. Everybody knows about Rodgers and the Jets. You already know that you want and need this guy, and everybody else now knows. Not to mention you just signed Nathaniel Hackett, who's already over there. I hear you're having negotiations with Fallon Lazard and whatnot, so that's fine. I just need you to understand the price just went up. To the best of my knowledge, that's not a description of a quid pro quo. I still don't know where that comes into this equation, but maybe it's in there somewhere. I'm sure she knows. She would know better than me how that all works, but that's just my opinion. Give me a Brian Gutekunst. Or Mark Murphy or whoever it was that that said, you know what, no, we need to put our foot on their neck. And we need to push. And by the way, the other point that he made is that um, it would actually benefit us if it's a post-June 1st trade. Remember, we can't designate it a post-June 1st trade. So 
another point of leverage that we have is the fact that we can just say, honestly, if you want to just step away from the table, that's fine. We can just do we can we can revisit this after the draft because at, from a negotiating standpoint, the Jets feel like you must really want to get this pick now, right? And if and, and if we don't have to give a pick this year, that's fine. We'll 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 give you next year's pick. That's better for us, anyways. But if the Packers have the ability to stand up and say it's fine with us too, not a big fan of this draft class, and by the way, it massively helps our salary cap. It, it drops our cap. What? How, how much do we save? $16 million gets added to our cap this year. $15.8 million, I think it is. So instead, it, which by the way, we have to add $9 million to our cap or subtract, or however you want to say that, which really means it's about a $24 million cap swing. We get $24 million more dollars on our cap this year if it's post-June 1. So if I'm the Packers, I, 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 I honestly, I'm not a negotiator. I don't know how all this stuff works, but... Even if I want this done now, I'm not going to tell them that. I'm going to go to the negotiating table and I'm going to say, listen, guys, um, I've been thinking about this. Honestly, it would be better for us if we did a post-June 1 trade. Why don't we let you keep your picks this year? You could use them for Aaron anyways. I'm sure he would appreciate that. We'll just put a pin in this. We can come back after June 1st and renegotiate and see if this is something we want to do. It's all just about posturing and a position of strength. I don't give a crap. You do what you got to do, and honestly, you know what? Forget it. Maybe we'll just step away. I don't know if I want to do this anyways. Plus, from a cap standpoint, we're really in a pinch here. We don't have a lot of money, and we could really use some flexibility here. So why don't we just step away from the table? It's just conveying to the Jets, I don't have to do anything. I'm not scared of anything. I don't need your freaking picks. I don't need this done anytime soon. Why don't we just cut a couple months out of this and not even talk for several months? How about that? That's my level of comfort with this situation. What's yours? And if you just look at um, the the heading for this first general manager, it says the Jets need to do something to make him, Packers met general manager Brian Gutekunst, want to move faster. So the point is, Gutekunst is doing what? I, I, I'll be honest, man. I'm, I'm really starting to like this guy. He did the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. While everybody else is panicking, like, we got to do something. He's like, just freaking chill. He did the whole R-E-L-A-X thing. Just relax. I'm, I'm going to quit. I will. I'll do it. I'll do it right now. All right, dude, fine. You got to do what you got to do, but you're under contract. I, I want to be traded right now. I'm not coming back if you're the GM. Yeah, well, you're under contract, so you can figure that out. That's your cross to bear. I'm trying to settle up. I'm trying to figure out who we're going to draft. I'm a little busy. Can I call you back later? I want to be traded before the draft. Listen, I'm busy, man. I got to go. I don't have time for this nonsense. The dude doesn't flinch. He doesn't blink. And, that, and listen, if we're going to be an organization that is a freaking powerhouse, this is what you need. You can't be getting picked on by everybody. You can't be getting pushed over. We are the freaking Green Bay Packers. We hold the keys. We hold the cards. You want our superstars? You play by our rules. You don't? Fine. He can vanish into thin air. We don't need the picks. We know what we have in Jordan Love. We know what we have in Matt LaFleur. We know what we have on this team, on this roster from top to bottom. Offense, defense, and special teams. I know who I am, and I know what I can do. And I know what I will do. When Rodgers is off our salary cap and we have so much money we don't know what to do with it, are you out of your mind? Have you seen my free agency record? I've already got a powerhouse. And it's only going to get stronger. And I really don't have time to play your stupid games. You know where the leverage stands. You know the situation we're in. And you know the price. You can pay it or not. It's not my problem. I don't care. So, all that to say, respectfully, I disagree with the negotiation tactic that says, why don't you just come sit next to me 
and just listen i'm going to come to my best offer you come to your best offer you know what do you want like would you give me a second no what about like next year's second and and a conditional third in 2025 like would you do that no all right well i'll just do whatever you want and if that's not what she's saying that's fine but ultimately again that's why i said i think if she was in this spot which it sounds like she had been as a ceo i think if she was in that spot she would fully understand that there, there's a little bit more to it than that. So, I, again, it just, it felt, unless I just completely don't understand it, which is possible. She's probably way smarter than I am. It's over my head. But based on what I'm hearing, nah, give me Brian Gutekunst 10 times out of 10. Oh, they're being, they're being ridiculous. They dug their, they're, they're trying to jack the price. They're price gouging. Yeah, good. <laughs> good. Gouge them. They can keep sending out Pat McAfee, who can keep saying that the Jets have all the leverage, it's fine. Because the GMs of both teams understand the actual reality. Brian Gutekunst jacked the price, not because he lost the leverage. <laughs> you don't do that if you're not in a position of strength. If you were the one with your back against the wall, you would really come back to the table and go, actually, gentlemen, the price has gone up. They would walk away and laugh at you. No, man, Brian Gutekunst is a dog. And like I said, I don't know what the top of the market is. I don't know what the high price is. Maybe it's one first. Maybe it's two seconds. Maybe it's a second and a player. I have no idea. But I have a very good idea that whatever the top is, Goot's going to stand on it, and he's going to say, you're going to give me this, or you're going to get nothing. And unless you're calling to agree, I don't want to talk to you. I'm busy. I'm going to crush this freaking draft. I'm going to get another Jair. I'm going to get another Rashawn. While you try to find the next Zach Wilson. Actually, best of luck, because you don't have a top 10 pick this year. Seems to be the only thing he can do is find talent in the top 10, which freaking shooting fish in a barrel. But congrats, I guess. All right, should we get to this? Should we do what everybody's been waiting for, the freaking... Uh... Actually, I want to do one other thing. Um, I saw this, somebody posted this as well, and I thought it was somewhat insightful. The entire point of it is, uh, I, you know, again, I, I don't want to call people out. I'm not trying to fight with anybody, despite um, what people might think. But the video was posted to sort of prove that Aaron Rodgers is correct in this. And I, whatever, I'm not really interested in what he's trying to argue with and that I clearly disagree with. Um, but I wanted to do it because, again, I've been saying, like, I don't understand what the complaints are with Aaron Rodgers, with people leaving and whatnot. And I found this to be insightful, not, to the, not in the way that he intended it to be insightful to me. Also, uh, I wanted to help the organization maybe learn from them some of the mistakes in the past, in my opinion, about the way that some of the uh, outgoing veterans were treated um, and just the fact that we didn't retain uh, a number of uh, players that I felt like were core players to our foundation, our locker room, high character guys. I'm talking about Charles Woodson, Jordy Nelson, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, James Jones, um, John Kuhn, Brett Good, TJ Lang, Brian Balaga, Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde, guys who were, you know, exceptional players for us, but great locker room guys, high character guys. Many of them who weren't offered a contract at all, or were extremely lowballed, or were, you know, maybe in my opinion, not uh, given the respect on the way out that guys of their status and stature and high character deserved. All right, so this this is it. This is what he's talking about. Now, to be clear, there are two different things here. There's um, not retaining people that I felt they should have retained, which I couldn't give two craps about. Um, and then there is treating people improperly. 
right? So those are two separate things. But to be clear, when he went on Pat McAfee, the reason I found this insightful for several reasons, but one is when he went on Pat McAfee, he said that he had a problem with the way people were treated. And he went on to list several people. He talked about Jordy. He talked about A.J. Hawk. He talked about that. He pretty much listed everybody here again under the category of people that should have been retained. So his entire gripe with the way certain people are treated at least in terms of the high the the high status guys that he's referring to fell into the category of guys that they let go of that he didn't like that they let go of which again I don't care. And by the way, almost everybody he listed, how many of them went on to have great careers? Listen, I love though I can't tell you and I I can because I'm sure you experienced it too how painful it was when Jordy left. That honestly that was one of the hardest ones. It was harder than Brett because Brett ticked me off by the time he was out the door. Um, I don't know that there was any other player that was harder. I mean, Donald Driver was rough, but he was he was certainly declining. Um, I don't know. There, there have been some that are like, dude, I can't, um, I can't believe this. I mean, Clay, Clay was a big one. Um, I know there were some other really big ones. I just I can't exactly remember over the years where i mean it just feels franchise altering like i can't imagine the team without him and it should be that way with rogers but i think it's just become such a similar to bread i mean it it just becomes so frustrating the whole thing that you kind of get lost in it and you kind of forget the gravity of like dude freaking aaron Rodgers is not our quarterback like this is huge um so i i get it from that standpoint but it's again how many of them went on to have good careers jordy didn't Julius, maybe for a year or two. I think he went back to the Panthers after that, right? He didn't really, you know, again, it's just, it's time to move on. And and there's price as a factor and everything else. So, and then here's the other interesting thing. At the very end, he he mentioned that second category about people not being treated right. But what did he say? Let me, let me play that specific part again. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Or we're, you know, maybe in my opinion, not uh, given the respect on the way out that guys of their status and stature and high character deserved. I really think this is a big deal, and Rogers is a big part of this, and I don't think it's talked about enough. The fact that there is an elitism throughout the NFL. That, that That's one of my biggest issues with this whole NFL union thing because it's largely the bigwigs in the NFL trying to make decisions that usually aren't in the benefit of the vast majority of the NFL. The majority of the NFL are not the Aaron Rodgerses. The majority of the NFL are guys that play like a year, two, three, you know, they're they're or they've been playing a long time, but they're special teamers or they're backups or they're this or they're that. They're just struggling to get by. Most of them aren't even making a million dollars. According to this article from the LA Times, and when was this written? Um, about five years ago. The average NFL salary was about $2 million. Think about that. All the guys we think about 10, 15, 20, $30 million a year. Do you know how much that skews the average? How many people have to be making less than a million just to counteract Aaron Rodgers' salary? Apparently that, that figure um, was about the same in 2020. $2.7 million just a couple years ago. So again, the vast majority of NFL players are not in league with the elite of the elite. And and this is one of the things that bothers me because a lot of times there is this view of like the NFL versus the owners and it's like this pitted rivalry and it's the little guys against the big guys, but it's really not. The little guys are the guys that nobody's speaking for. The NFL Players Union speaks for the Aaron Rodgerses of the world, for Tom Brady, for Devontae Adams, for David Bakhtiari, the guys that got the mega contract. And it's all about keeping the big guys, the big guys, and the little guys, the little guys lessening their opportunities. You don't get to see them in practice. You don't get to see them in the preseason. How are these guys going to get an opportunity to ever win a spot? They're not, and that's the point. They don't want that. They don't want competition. They don't want to have to be anywhere. They want, to, they want less work, less this, less that. And again, it's seen as the big, evil, greedy owners want to force the poor, little, meager players to do more work. The little guys want the work. They want to be in the building. They want to be grinding. They want all the opportunities they can, but coaches aren't even allowed to talk to these guys in the offseason. They're not allowed to interact with them, not allowed to bring them in and work them out. They're not allowed to do any of this stuff. Don't you think that would benefit them and help them to win a spot? Don't you think they want those opportunities? Of course they do. This this NFL union thing is all about the big guys keeping down. And by the way, that's just how unions work in general. It's all about the big guys making sure the little guys don't get in. It's protecting the guys that are already in from the little guys from getting in. So when Rogers says he doesn't like how people are treated, notice how he says specifically he doesn't like how people of this caliber are treated. He couldn't give a crap about a guy like, for example, apparently on our team right now we have Bo Melton and Jeff Cotton at wide receiver. Do you want me to take a—let's just—let's be completely honest. I don't know who Jeff Cotton is. I've never heard of the guy. There is like a 99% chance that when cut-down days come, you know what's going to happen? They're going to get a letter in their locker, or somebody's going to meet them at their locker and say, come on upstairs. You've seen it before. You've seen it on TV, the hard knocks, right? What happens? They walk in, they shake hands, have a seat. And Brian Gutekunst is going to have his conversation with Jeff Cotton. He's going to say, Jeff, just first of all, I want to say I really appreciate everything you've done for us, but we're going to head in a different direction, okay? But keep your phone on, man. You know, you've done some great work for us. 
And if, if things change, we'd love to have you back and work out with us, okay? And they let him go, and that's it. Do you think Aaron Rodgers wants to stand up for Jeff Cotton? Do you think when a kicker comes in to compete with Mason Crosby and Mason Crosby wins that competition, Aaron Rodgers marches up to Brian Gutekunst's office and says, why would you treat him so poorly? He doesn't give a crap about them. This is about status. This is about elitism. And again, I don't know what that looks like. It sounds to me, based on his words, that the way to treat them proper is to not release them, which is not really an option. He has not explained even a little bit what, what that could possibly mean outside of that. So we're, gonna, we're going to release him. And, and he, again, he even said when he started this, some people were let go, others were offered lowball contracts. They were both insulting. What do you want me to do then? If I don't offer a contract, then it's a disgrace that I didn't even try to retain them. And if I offer a low contract for what I think they're actually worth, then it's offensive that I lowballed you. So the real problem here is that I didn't value you the way that you feel you should be valued. So I can't win. Again, I've, I've said this like five different times, but I just want to reiterate because Aaron Rodgers just said it. So look, I, I, I get it, man. It sucks when somebody like Jordy or Mike McCarthy or Aaron Rodgers or whatever walks out the door. It's a massive deal. And yeah, it's prob it probably shouldn't be more than like a five-second conversation. But what, what are we going to do? We gonna bust out a game of Monopoly or what? Like, well, let's just hang out. I'll, I'll put on a movie and we can eat some popcorn. I, I don't understand. There's there's not much else to do other than to to try to tell you how much I appreciate what you've done genuinely, how much love I have for you and everything you've done for this organization. However, it's time to move on. And I, I genuinely and I could be wrong, but Aaron Rodgers will not be specific. I don't know what else. There is to do, and it's funny. I was joking before, and I was like, you know, other teams do this stuff too. Are the are the are the uh, Bears disrespectful for letting Montgomery go? Is are the Lions disrespectful for letting Jamal Williams go? Hilariously, Jamal Williams apparently did an interview and said that the Lions were disrespectful based on the contract that they offered him. So it's apparently it's not just the Packers, right? And again, I understand feeling disrespected, but. I, if you're asking for sympathy, you're not going to get it. Unless you can give me some kind of specifics. Like, you know, when, when Jordy was let go, it was just a text message. Like, bro, clean your crap out of your locker. You got to go. We're letting you go. Okay. Like, that, that's jacked up, and, and you have my sympathy on that. But he, nobody wants to give me specifics. Aaron keeps talking about it. Something happened to Jordy. Something happened to AJ. Something happened to Clay. What happened? And the only thing I'm hearing is... They got let go. Can you believe it? They're high-character guys. Well, are they still high-character guys? You better believe it. So should they be on the team right now? Should A.J. Hawk still be here? You know, all these years I got mad at Ted Thompson because I felt like, toward the end anyways, we just didn't seem to want to get rid of anybody. You know, given Perry, that contract was a mistake, although he balled out before the year before. He had like one good year and then got a massive contract and then was like the worst pass rusher in football. But Clay, I mean, he was really going down. And a lot of guys were staying. And I just, now that I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, how much of that was Rodgers putting pressure? You know, these guys should have been gone a while ago. And then finally, when they leave, it's like, you guys are so disrespectful. It's unbelievable that you would let him go. And again, it just goes to Rodgers' whole character of like, I just want my buddies. He, he just, he still to this day wants to be on a team with Jordy and Randall and freaking Tauscher and, and like the whole crew, like bring the gang back. Why don't you leave football and get the crew back together and just go play a, a, a game of pickup with Jay Cutler? Dude, first of all, 
Put that on pay-per-view. I'll pay $100 to watch that. I would freaking love that. It would be awesome. But in terms of how the Green Bay Packers move forward into the future, I'm not sure that's it. Again, 100 bucks on the table right now. Get Jay Cutler and Brandon Marshall on that side. Get Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson on this side. Dude, I would pay $200. I would, I would, I would beg you for donations, but I would... I would still, you know, I would I would give the money over eventually once I received it. But, um, oh, dude, we would live stream it. It would be ridiculous. It would be the greatest thing ever. But what we're talking about is not actual reality. What we're talking about is not team building for the Green Bay Packers moving forward. And Rodgers is stuck on this. He wants Randall. He wants his guys. He, You know, th- these are the, like Mercedes Lewis. He has to be here. All these guys have to be here. These are core guys. They're core this, core. He's obsessed. And now he's going to the Jets. And he's got a great crew of guys over there. I mean, there's flaws. The offensive line could use some work. They got some promising pieces that could that could potentially be good. Um, but what does he want? And he, he said that he didn't demand it, but he would... I'm guessing if you asked him, he would love Lazard and Randall and Mercedes Lewis. That's the wrong thing to do. You don't need those guys. You have these guys. You have better young talented guys. No, I don't want the young guys. I want the old guys. He's 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 real stuck in this like I don't know what how else to call it, but this union mentality. Like Garrett Wilson, it's not about the talent. It doesn't matter that Garrett Wilson right now is more talented than Jordy Nelson right now. It's not about that. He hasn't earned his stripes. He hasn't earned the right to stand over there on the field with me like like Randall does. I just I think that's all nonsense, and I'm I'm I, I think that's part of the frustration people have, and it's why there's a sense of relief that he's going over there, and, and you know you, you see what's going on with again with Lazard and everything else, and it's like you know what, you go do that, you go deal with that, you go figure out how to like rebuild your glory days, you know I mean he he listed off Reggie McKenzie and and Schneider and all these guys, maybe you can round them up and bring them back. By the way, it, does anybody on planet Earth? Think that in this exact spot, if Ted Thompson were here today, that he would be doing something different? As much as he wants to talk about revering Ted Thompson, he's the guy that let all those all your buddies go. He is the architect of let him go a year early. He is the master of that, of identifying guys in their final years and then sending them off. Like Mike Daniels. Could not believe it. That guy was a stud the last time he played. They let him go, and I'm like, what are you doing? What in the world are you doing? He hasn't done a thing. Don't tell Mike I said that. He'll freaking kill me. <laughs> See, I don't care if, if Pat McAfee gets mad at me, but please don't tell Mike Daniels. Plus, I love Mike Daniels. That guy was a freaking beast, man. Love that guy. But again, that's the point. I love that guy. And it was painful to see him go. But in hindsight, I have the ability to look at it and say, Dan, that was a right decision. And somehow Rodgers can see Jordy go off and fail for the Raiders and not see that as the right decision. And say, no, he should still be here. Not because of what he is as a player, but because of what he is as a human. I, I just, the whole thing is just silly to me. Anyways, we're, we're getting kind of late, but I'm doing this because we, we just, we have too much to get through. Um, this is the uh, Pat McAfee thing. And th- this, this set off, dude, I've never seen Packer fans unify like this before. Just pure vitriol toward Pat McAfee to the point where he came out with a long statement today um, addressing Packer fans. Um, of course, the way he phrased it just pissed everybody off even more. But anyways, here is the conversation. And again, you want to talk about disrespectful. This guy, 
I mean, I, I, my freaking blood was boiling so much listening to this that I, I'm, I'm glad I didn't comment right away because I would have said something stupid. But just, just freaking pissed me off. And again, when you plant your feet and look directly at our fan base and flip the bird to all of us and say your GM is a joke, your quarterback is a joke, and your entire team is going to fail because my buddy left and screw all of you, he, he literally said, it's been fun, Packer fans, and just like brushed us off like, get out, I don't need you. Okay. This, by the way, that's not us. That's your decision, right? You're the one who decided to, to declare war against one of the biggest fan bases in the entire NFL and one of the most loyal fan bases in the entire NFL. And the funny thing is, there are people who are on the Rogers side of this who suddenly are galvanizing, and it's become, whether you're on the Rogers side or the Packers side, it's still, you freaking crossed the line. Not everybody, but there's a sense of that. And I'll be honest, thank you, Pat McAfee, because all I ever wanted was for our Packer fan base to unite over something. Because I don't like the rift. I don't like the fighting. We're all Packer fans. We should all be on the same side. We should all be on the same team. We all That's what I said before. Whether you're like a... a, a it doesn't even matter the issue. The point is, everybody's perspective. If you think Gutekunst is a piece of garbage, or if you think he's the greatest GM in the world, the entire point of all the anger and everything else is, I want my team to be great. That's what we all want. There's not a Packer fan saying... I, I want Rodgers to leave because I want to fail. That's not a that's not a thing. If you want him to go, it's because you think it's the best decision for our team. If you want him to stay, it's because you think it's the best decision. The point is we're all trying to reach the same goal. So I don't like the fact that we're so angry toward each other and we're all trying to get the same thing. But this was somewhat of a galvanizing moment. And this was really infuriating. And, and it's easy to be mad at Pat McAfee because I'll, I'll just be completely honest. He's an entertaining guy. I appreciate the fact that he went sort of the anti-media route, although he's becoming worse than them. Everything you say about the media in terms of being biased and one-sided and just not giving you accurate, truthful information, it's all about my... Per I mean, he is personifying that right now. He has built his identity around something, and that's his... So you don't get real information. You get wildly biased, and it's so obvious, you know? At least like Fox and MSNBC do a kind of decent job of pretending. Not that anybody buys it, but... Anyways, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I didn't need to tell you that, but I've been wanting to play the video, but it's like, I should probably go. I don't know. So much coffee. Talk amongst yourselves for a minute. So, why don't we uh, go ahead and play the thing? point is, if 2023 picks are going to be included in this deal, and I believe that, you know, at least one would be, has to be done by the draft. Other than that, I don't know. When so the Jets done. have the leverage in that then? Yeah. I don't know. Like, got the good yes. Play. So again, he's he's pushing this Jets have. First of all, what does that even mean? Like, you know, it, like he's just waiting to be able to drop these bombs here. He wants to push Ian to say that the Packers are stupid, the Jets have all the leverage, all that stuff. What 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 was just said? That would make it seem like the Jets have... I, I have no idea. Like, he just... Ian says anything random. Ian's like, hey, I just had coffee. Oh, so the Jets have the leverage. That's, you're telling me that I'm, I'm right about everything, right? Right. In that, in that situation, the Jets would have the leverage because they would have the picks. So right. So, to be specific, to be very clear, and again, Ian doesn't really... He's very non-confrontational. He, he's always very, like, just keep it cool. Like, and and that's, that's how you become Ian Rappaport. You're everybody's buddy. Right, You say all the right things, you're a yes man, all that stuff. He's not specifically saying the Jets have 
the leverage, period. He's saying in this one instance, this is one of the things that works in the Jets' favor. Right? Not saying that the Jets have all the leverage. That's the problem. Is I got people on the internet that I respect saying the Packers, Aaron just lost all the leverage from the Jets. It's like, the Packers have none as well. Like they, they're See, and again, they have none as well. That, that doesn't even make sense, Pat. What do you mean they have none as well? They both have leverage. The Packers have more. That's it. It's all this. This is that's exactly right. It's all the same. Neither side, and both sides have the leverage because both want it to get done. Again, Ian's just straddling the line, right? They they both do and neither do. Like you know, they both have like pain points and they both kind of this and that and you never really know kind of thing. Yeah, totally. They just. But he's not jumping on what Pat's saying. He's not agreeing. I mean, he's, he always says yes. Again, he's a yes man. Oh, yes, definitely. And then he goes back to straddle the line. But he's not saying, right, that's correct. The Jets have all the leverage. The Packers are not in the position of power. But Pat took it that way because he doesn't even know how to listen. He never knows how to listen. He always, even when Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers says something, and he's like, oh, so you're saying, and Aaron has to be like, no, I didn't freaking say that. Like, he... I don't know, man. He seems like he's got ADD. It's it's he's that's what makes him entertaining. He's kind of all over the place. But again, I don't think he's a supreme intellect, and he's a, certainly not a very good listener. But he's on a war path. You can tell he's in a mood. He wants to jump down the path. Oh, oh, oh! I was told like he didn't even agree with you. Can you listen for a second? Just haven't been able to figure out a price. And like I could argue either way that the other side needs to get it done. Right. But straddling the, the line. Is, what's the price? Like. How how do you figure out a quarterback who's going to cost $60 million, but is one of the greatest ever, and probably plays more than one year, but might only play one year because you just don't know. He's almost 40. Like, what is the price? Like, there are reasons why this has been so hard. There's not a lot of precedent with this, and neither side has the leverage. It's difficult. So what do you think it ends up being? Because the Jets make use of their picks. The Jets are good drafters. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the dumber things. I, listen, I'm going to stand by what I said about yesterday. That guy was a complete idiot. But Pat is really trying. He must have heard that podcast and was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can beat that. The Jets are good drafters. I, I don't even know where to begin with this. If you're a good drafting team then your team has a lot of good players that were drafted. And if your team has a lot of good players that were drafted, you win a lot of games. Good teams win games, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not hoping I'm not losing you. I know this is deep. If we run it in reverse, let's just say for, for argument's sake, the Jets don't win a lot of games. And they're one of the worst teams in football consistently, right? It would seem as though perhaps they don't have a ton of great players. Maybe. So suddenly, Pat McAfee is, and I think everything is just anti-Packers at this point, because it's, it's like, obviously he's pro-Rodgers, but now all of a sudden he's become like a giant Jets fan. And it seems like all this, and, and I think Packers fans are kind of putting pressure on him, and he's getting pissed off, and so now it's like, fine, screw you, Aaron Rodgers is the greatest, he's going to make, you know, the Jets, and the Jets are great, Every, everything in life is great except the Packers and Packer fans. That seems to be his stance now, because this is stupid. And to be honest, I've already address, addressed this. This this whole Jets, the Jets got a ton of of, of credit for their their draft. I addressed this long before Aaron Rodgers was ever like Aaron Rodgers to the Jets was not even a thought in anybody's mind. And the whole thing I said is everybody that they love 
Everybody that they're pumping up, oh, that was the greatest thing in the history of the universe. It was two guys that were both picked in the top 10. They're both picks before the Packers ever even had an opportunity to pick. Before most teams had an opportunity to pick, it's Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson. Now, it's entirely possible that you miss in the top 10, but it's more or less shooting fish in a barrel, and you got to be a special kind of idiot to miss in the top 10, like, oh, I don't know, in 2021 when he drafted Zach Wilson, sorry about hitting the beat button, at pick two, which was a garbage pick. Garbage. How many picks did he make outside of the top 10? He's been there for three years. And that's the other, well, he's only been there three years. So the team's success or failure has to do with the players that were already there. He's got a lot of work to do. Okay, Brian Gutekunst came in and took a losing team and made him a 13-win team in one year. That's what Brian Gutekunst did. One year. He did it through the draft. He did it by hiring the right coach. He went and got Matt LaFleur. He went and got Zadarius and Preston and Adrian Amos. He's the one that built the team that went 13. We, we all talk, oh, look what Aaron did. Well, what did Aaron do in 2018? It's not just Aaron. He needs a team. He needs a coach. He needs all that stuff. And Brian Gutekunst is the one that built that. He built the team that went 13 wins three years in a row. Gutekunst did that. And I'm supposed to hate the guy? Do you think Aaron Rodgers has a single MVP beyond 2018 if it's not for Brian Gutekunst? The answer to that question is very obviously no. First of all, he already said it was because of, of, of Jordan Love, but even if he was pissed off about Jordan Love, if he didn't have anywhere to go with the football, if he didn't have a football team around him, you don't win 13 games, and you're not winning MVP. How many picks has this guy made outside of the top 10 that are any good? They picked Mackay Becton at 11, and, and the, apparently the rumor is the coaching staff wants him gone because they don't like him, but the ownership, including the GM, are like, no, he's got to stay because the coaching staff came in later. They came in, I think, 2021. And Mekhi Becton's there. He doesn't want to work. He's not a good football player. Like, it's just a complete freaking disaster. And they're like, we don't like him. And it's like, are you freaking kidding? We took him at pick 11 overall. He's not going anywhere. He's got to stay. They picked Denzel Mims, Ashton Davis, uh, Jabari Zaniga, LaMichael Pirine, James Morgan, Cameron Clark, Bryce Hall, Braden Mann. 2021, Zach Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, who they're potentially trying to get rid of, but the Packers don't want him because he told Matt LaFleur's brother to go F himself, but he still wants off the team. Uh, Michael Carter, Jamie and Sherwood, Michael Carter again, different Michael Carter. Uh, uh, Jason Pinnock, Hamsa Nasruddin, Brandon Eccles, Jonathan Marshall. Any of those guys ring any bells, Hall of Famers, anything like that? And then in 2022, outside of the top 10, Jermaine Johnson, Brees Hall, Jeremy Rucker, Max Mitchell, Michael Clemens. Reese Hall seems good. But again, I've always said running backs are cheating. You draft a running back, it's okay, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, you nailed it. Knocked it out of the park. Well, if you're a bad GM and you haven't hit anything, just draft a running back in the first round. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be a talented guy, and people will be bragging and screaming about how good they are. If you've had a... Any GM that's had like two years of just like none of my guys hit, if they have the opportunity to draft B. John Robinson, they need to do it just to make sure they don't get fired. Like, dude, are you kidding me? I drafted B. John Robinson. He's a really good football player. You haven't seen that? You didn't notice that? And even at that, Brees Hall is not like a top 10 running back. He had a 69.8 grade. I mean, he's fine. The Packers drafted a running back in the second round, and he's like a top five receiver, but nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody cares. Brees Hall, though, elite. Why? Because the Jets did it. Elijah Vera Tucker is fine. It's a bad team, and there's a reason for that. Brian Gutekunst has never had a pick inside the top 10. He almost never has had a pick inside the top 20. Has he had a pick inside the Yeah, Rashawn Gary is the only one. He's never had a top 10 pick. He had one pick at 12, and he's been one of the best pass rushers in football. Oh, wait, how could I forget Jair Alexander? 
who's one of the best corners in football. He was at pick 18. Those are the only two picks he's had inside the top 20. Jair and Rashawn. You want to get on him about uh, uh, Savage? Okay, that's fine. Again, I, I still blame Joe Barry for that. He was decent as a rookie, took a big jump in year two, looked like he was about to be a star, and Joe Barry comes in and he just falls off a cliff. But whatever, fine. Get on him about his second pick in the first round that uh, didn't seem to pan out, which was followed up, by the way, by Elton freaking Jenkins in the second round. Next year was Jordan Love. Everybody hated it. We'll see. And by the way, his entire career basically hinges on Jordan Love. If that guy's a good quarterback, anybody that says Gutekunst is a bad GM... Just go into hiding. If this dude can play, it's freaking game over. By the way, that was followed up by A.J. Dillon. And yes, if we get into the third round, fifth round, seventh round, oh, what about that? Yeah, freaking who, who, who hits there? I mean, Gutekunst does quite often, but that's the problem. The, the precedent is always, oh, we'll look at these other picks, which is what annoys me about some Packer fans. You look at the Jets, and you look at two of their top ten picks, and you say he's a genius, and then you just completely disregard everything else. And then when it comes to the Packers, we look at the fifth round and the seventh round and be like, oh, failure, 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 another miss, another miss, another miss. Completely unfair standards, and you're biased against your own team. It's so weird. I don't get it. There's a lot of question marks here. I still want to see what Eric Stokes can do. It was a very promising first year for a guy that was basically a second-round pick. And then obviously the 2022 draft seems like it's... I mean, it's on the verge of being a historic class, but... If nobody really takes that second or third year leap and everybody kind of stays here or some guys go back, it could end up being a bad draft. But it's very rare to see this much production from rookies. Quay Walker obviously had some issues, but for a rookie to play the entire season, I got high hopes. Devontae Wyatt, you know I love that guy. Watson freaking emerged as a star right out of the gate, basically. Sean Ryan, third round pick. It's a curse. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry we drafted you, Sean. I hope we trade you and you have a great career somewhere else. Romeo is a fourth-round pick. Fourth round. We shouldn't have a lot of expectations for this. He was really impressive as a rookie fourth-round pick. Zach Tom was our second pick in the fourth round. That dude, half the fan base at least, is saying, let's just make him a guy right now. Kingsley as a fifth-round pick. Not an elite player, but that dude held his own. For a rookie fifth-round pick to stand there and play in place of Rashawn Gary to try to fill his shoes, I'm really impressed with him. Tariq Carpenter as a seventh round pick instantly emerged as a special teamer that played really well there. Jonathan Vord didn't play a ton, but he made the 53. Rashid Walker, um, another guy that didn't play, but there's a, a whole lot of like, dang, this dude is impressive. Like in those moments when he played. I, the Packers obviously have a clearer picture of what he's been doing because they've been seeing him in practice. But there's a lot of talk about that dude being able to do some stuff. And then Samori Ture, who was our fourth seventh round pick actually played a pretty significant role considering he was the fourth seventh round pick one of the last guys picked in the entire draft and he even contributed anyways believe it or not we're not even to the worst part of this interview this is just him starting off saying stupid stuff i mean we've saw that drafted they had the offensive rookie of the year the backup offensive rookie of the year and the (laughs) defensive player of the year and they think the backup defense player of the year so the draft picks mean a lot obviously to them so they don't want to give as many of those up it probably ends up costing what like a one and then a future in however aaron performs based pick is that what you think uh if it's a one and it's number 13 i i don't know i i I should not say talk about things that i do not know um i do not know if that would be 
included or not. I mean, that would be a high price, but I don't know if that would be included. Uh, I think your read is probably around right. I just don't know, like, who would agree to which part of that? Because, like, uh, it's just – anyway, these are all the reasons why two very smart people and very good negotiators have not been able Here to it figure comes. it out. Who's the smart person? Uh, you mean as far as negotiating, like, in this negotiation? Yeah, who I mean, are they? Joe Douglas and Brian Gutekunst. Oh, Gutekunst, we're just automatically assuming is a smart person? I mean, wow. Wow. I mean, just douchebag, man. (laughs) This guy's got tens of thousands of people that watch, and he's out here just calling our GM a freaking idiot. Wow. I think Joe Douglas has proved. Joe Douglas has proved. What has he proved? What has he proved? Because he drafted two guys in the top 10 that played really well. Sauce Gardner is awesome. But for crying out loud, it doesn't take a lot of skill. There were only about five guys that anybody thought were a possibility in that spot. And they grabbed one and he panned out. That doesn't prove anything. You want to prove something, do something at least outside of the top 10. Outside of the first round. Can you hit a fourth round pick that can play left tackle in his rookie year? Because Gutekunst can. Have you found sixth-round picks that are playing on our our offensive line right now? Or how about Yash freaking Nyman? What was he, a seventh-round pick? He's our starting right tackle. And again, do I have to illustrate the fact that he brought this team back to life after a losing record? We were in the... I thought we were done. I thought the dark era was here. In 2018, I thought, that's it. Where do we go from here? How do we go up? We have Aaron Rodgers. What do we do? It just keeps getting worse. And Brian Gutekunst emerges from the ashes. He finds the exact right coach, the exact right scheme. He brings in all the right players, incredible players. And we win 13 freaking games and continue to get better and better and better. He hasn't proved it. What does he need to do to prove it? What hasn't he done? He's drafted... Arguably the best corner and pass rusher in the draft. He's also drafted a quarterback that's about to play. So, of all the most important positions in football, what is he, what, what, what has he not done? Now, I don't expect him to know any of this, because he doesn't. He has no idea what he's talking about. But what an absolutely ignorant thing to say that Joe Douglas, who's only been in the league three years, who just drafted at pick two, the literal worst quarterback in football. The only reason we're having this conversation is because his pick was so god-awful that they have to go out and get somebody else to play to fix his break-up. That's why we're even having this conversation. But he's proved it. What has he proved? Can you name a single like blockbuster trade that was super awesome? Has he done anything? Has he? What, what has he done? He hasn't done anything. His team sucks. Brian Gutekunst, losing team to a 13-win team in one year. Joe Douglas, three years, nothing. Nothing. They've got they got money pouring out of their ears. They don't have a quarterback that they got to pay. Somehow, by the way, they're broke. Figure that one out. Mathematical genius. They have a, a rookie contract, and somehow they have no money. <laughs> they... They're squeezing to get like the $15 million they got to pay Rodgers or something. What, who are you paying money to? 
You're not paying Sauce Gardner. You're not paying Garrett Wilson. They're all rookies. Where's your money? God, you suck. But no, Joe Douglas, he's proved it. He proved it because he drafted Sauce Gardner at like pick four. So that's proof that he's an elite GM. What has is, what is Gutekunst done? And by the way, he doesn't know. I mean, just because he literally doesn't know. He hasn't looked. He doesn't try. He doesn't care. He's, he's, I'm trying not to be super harsh. He's ignorant. I'll just leave it at that. Good. Oh, I mean, yeah. that, that's, uh, that's an interesting, right? I think, yeah, I think he's pretty, I think he's an NFL general manager, those guys. Oh, good. yeah. They've never been Jordan. general manager. So now, uh, I got to bleep it, but so there's never been crappy effing general managers. So that's, that's what he's saying, Gutekunst is. Yeah, he's a GM, but he's he's crappy. Why? Again, he's not even saying anything. Why is he a bad GM? Again, what a freaking douchebag. And then, again, he comes out with this long thing like, I, I don't know why you guys are coming at me. Jordan Love pick is a good one. Probably. If, well, and, and, and I think that's the thing. And by the way, he's got a, a quote-unquote Packer fan on his staff. I think he genuinely believes he's representing Packer fans. I think he believes, as he's saying this, Packer fans are going, yeah! And there are some. He has no idea the vast majority of Packer fans support their team and have seen what Brian Gutekunst has done and is not a freaking idiot and looks at that and goes, that's a good thing. I'm happy with what our team has been over, over Brian How could you not be happy with the tenure of Brian Gutekunst, for crying out loud? Oh, because of, because of Jordan Love. Oh, I can't let that one freaking thing go. It could have been a wide receiver. You cannot let it go. You're the most insufferable freaking people in the world. One pick, one pick that hasn't even been proven wrong. We don't even know if it was a bad pick yet, and you can't freaking let it. Oh, we didn't go all in. Yes, we did. We spent every freaking dollar we had. We brought in every free agent. They had all the talent we needed. It was not the third wide receiver that was the problem. It's the fact that Aaron Rodgers and all this talent that was stacked on the roster couldn't get the freaking job done. Aaron Rodgers had everything he needed. The defense bailed him out. He had the defense he needed. He had the number one wide receiver in football, and they couldn't close they couldn't get it done winners get it done they couldn't close it's on them but god forbid we blame the players no it's always the gm we always need more 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 bullcrap they had everything they needed and they couldn't get it done it's on the players and on the coaches period they have had more than enough talent they've had way more talent than half the teams that have won the super bowl you don't need more. We don't freaking need oh another wide receiver. Well, if we just add another wide receiver, it would fix everything. And then we add somebody else, and it doesn't fix it. We add somebody else, it doesn't fix it. It never fixes the problem. Then we add Christian Watson, and that's not good enough because he's a rookie. Well, I thought we were supposed to draft wide receivers because it's a good thing. Oh, no, now they're rookies, and you can't expect rookies to do anything. But that's what you've been asking for. These people don't know what they're talking about. It's just the same crap. You know how tiring this is. My God, you ungrateful douchebags. 13 win seasons because of Brian Gutekunst. We don't have any of this without him. If we had kept going with Mike McCarthy and Ted Thompson, which I know at this point is not a possibility, but just understand what I'm saying. If we had kept going down that path, we're a losing football team. That scheme is garbage it's garbage that's why we weren't going anywhere because our offense was trash under mike mccarthy 
That's why. And and it was identified. And you know who it was identified by first? Mark Murphy. He's the man that saved this freaking franchise. And we're going to throw him under the bus because of a comment. Let me, by the way, let me get to that comment. I have no problem with his comment. What did he say wrong? What did he say? He said two things. Number one, yes, he's welcome back. Number two, we don't really want him back. So what? What's wrong with that? We don't lose any leverage over that. That's exactly the stance we should be taking. It's a statement that is, that is going to make sure Rodgers never wants to come back here. That's a good thing. We don't want that because that's one of the only areas where we can get screwed. However, technically, door's still open. It's hilarious when, when uh, in, in his statement, he's like, oh yeah, the, the Packers said that they would never, um, that they would bring him back, or you guys think that he could come back if you wanted to. No, he couldn't. What about Mark Murphy's statement? His statement was, yes, he can come back. Basically, it's not our first option, but yeah, it's our second option. So what? And again, you want to argue from a position of strength? The position of strength is basically, I don't freaking care. Yeah, we don't want him, but if he comes back, he comes back. It's fine. We'll figure it out. It's not a big deal. What did he say that was wrong? I don't care. That guy saved our franchise by bringing in Brian Gutekunst, first of all, and then the two of them collaborated and brought in the right coach. And then they brought in all the right free agents. And then they had incredible drafts, bringing in some of the best players in the entire league, like Elton Jenkins, Rashawn Gary, and Jair Alexander, and many others to be determined. No, I don't have a problem with that. No, I don't expect more than that. No, I'm not going to piss and moan because we didn't get Denzel Mims, who is who you actually wanted. Don't freaking lie. You wanted Denzel Mims, who's garbage. The Jets have him, by the way. And if you want him, we could trade for him, but you don't want him anymore, do you? One of Denzel, or who is that freaking linebacker that's just nobody even remembers anymore? Patrick Queen? Oh, yeah, I got to get Patrick Queen, man. That's who you wanted. Patrick Queen or Denzel Mims? Those are the two guys. Don't lie. But instead of getting Denzel Mims, we got Jordan Love, who might be the quarterback of the future. And that's the big reason why we can't trust Brian Gutekunst. That's the reason Pat McAfee's like, oh, he hasn't proved he's an idiot. He's an effing idiot. (laughs) Why do I think that? Because I'm a freaking drone who does whatever Aaron Rodgers tells me to do. What a jag off. We'll find out. I mean, we don't. No, we don't. We have no idea, right? And, that, and that's the other thing is like, you know, I've talked to plenty of Packers people who really like Jordan Love and are optimistic, but they know what is the truth. I think you do not know. You like, yeah, you have no they're idea. Trading, no clue. They're yeah. trading Aaron Rodgers, and when the lights come on, they think he's going to be good, but the reality right. is you simply because how could you? Okay, I assume Gunther Kuntz is a. You know, a smart human. He's a general manager for an NFL team. But just being like, well, we got two really good negotiators. It's like, do we know that? I don't know if we know that. Well, you seem to be implying that you do know that about Joe Douglas, and I don't know how you're getting there. I think if you're talking track record, Brian Gutekunst blows the guy whose team can't seem to win games out of the freaking water. That's what I think. That's, That's my assessment of the situation. And again, well, Aaron Rodgers did it. Why didn't he do it in 2018? Why? He couldn't do it then. What about 2022? Having Aaron Rodgers there doesn't make things magically better. It doesn't. If that's all it took, then we wouldn't have those down years. It's not just Aaron Rodgers. And by the way, the same people that are saying Aaron Rodgers did it are the ones saying we need it. We, Aaron Rodgers needs more help. Why? I thought he was the one that just rises this team from the ashes. That doesn't make any sense. And again, as I said before, that's what he should do. That's what you get paid to do. As much as you get paid, with, this, with the guys that you have, 
I don't exactly expect to get eliminated in 2022 by scoring 16 points. Our defense kept them to 20. All we had to do was get to 21, and we couldn't do it. Aaron Rodgers couldn't do it. Well, he didn't have the... Okay, well, listen. If you can't do it, then I'm not paying you. Because I can pay some other guy to sit there and piss and moan about, well, I don't have any weapons. That's what Justin Fields gets to piss and moan about, not Aaron Rodgers. If you can't elevate this, if you can't make this thing work, then I'm not paying you $50 million a year. You're not worth it. What's the point? I pay you to be the magic man. 16 points. That's why we got eliminated. And it gets even worse last year. The 49... The defense has come through every single year. (laughs) Well, not every year, but... Last last few times. 13 points is all they had to overcome. The great and powerful Oz, Aaron Rodgers. Can you get a freaking 14 points, two touchdowns? That's all you need. Well, he didn't have David Bakhtiari. Give a crap? Can you do it or not? And I'm not saying he's, he's the only one, but again, one more wide receiver makes a difference? You can't do it with Devontae, but you add one other wide receiver, and that's going to magically fix all this. Are you out of your mind? How does that magically fix this? You can't do it with Devontae? 10 points. 10. 2020 was a little better. It was 26. Not exactly elite, but it's something. In 2019, we scored 20. Did the offense do it? I mean, for the first two years, the defense failed, but I would argue to say that three out of the four years, the offense did nothing. Paying Aaron Rodgers a billion dollars to be that dude. And even, even look at 2019 down the stretch. 20, 28, 23, 23, 21, 20. Then 31 against the Giants, then 8, 24, 11. Like, what is that? That's, that's not good. That's not a good offense. And again, 2020 when the offense was the best in football, right? And, and again, this is what you expect. You got all the pieces. You got the quarterback. You got your receiver. You got your running backs. You got all the pieces. We got everything we need. This is the year. And the offense is first in the NFL. The defense is 13th. So you're leaning on your offense. And then down the stretch, what do you got? 40 against Tennessee, 35 against Chicago, 32 against the Rams, 26 against the Bucks. Tough defense. I get it. But again, overcome. That's what we expect from the greatest. Overcome. And again, look at that final drive. Everybody's mad at Matt LaFleur, but why did you kick the field goal or whatever? Did you see how brutal that was getting down the field? I'm telling you with 99% certainty, he's not getting a touchdown, followed by a two-point conversion. Not going to happen. It was painful watching that. 2021, again, offense ranked 10th down the stretch, 37 against the Vikings, 30 against Detroit. We get into the playoffs, 10 points. What are we paying for? Again, this whole, like, one more wide receiver is so stupid. What is that going to do? You're not even looking at the problem. It's like having a race car that, you know, when you hit 100 miles an hour, the engine seizes up. Every single time, by the time you hit top speed, the engine just, it just busts. And you start talking about putting better tires on it. Dude, what are you talking about? Look at this. The, the, uh, the absolute collapse. The entire team shows up and plays like crap. And they're talking about how they don't believe in themselves. And you're talking about a wide receiver. You're putting Band-Aid on cancer, dude. Anyways, it's probably the longest podcast I've ever done out of my 1,700 podcasts. So I should probably get out of here. You guys have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you tonight and tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.